The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Sportbox. Here are your headlines today. The S&P 500 kicks off the week in the green, notching its fourth day of gains ahead of key earnings, even as industrial production sinks to a more than six-month low. Alibaba shares are higher after the tech giant launches a new server chip to boost its cloud business in a direct challenge to Amazon and Microsoft. Meanwhile, Apple suppliers get a boost after the company announces a slew of new products, including MacBooks powered by its own chips, further cementing its break from Intel. And a very good morning, everybody. I'm in West London at the UK Global Investment Summit, where Prime Minister Boris Johnson is set to announce nearly £10 billion worth of commitments to UK business as the UK government and the Prime Minister attempts to woo global investors after Brexit and the pandemic. Good morning, everyone. We're going to start out the day taking a look at some earnings crossing. And it's a funny old market. We saw even stateside last week that earnings were somewhat instrumental to the direction of trade. But then the data came in and undermined confidence as we started out this week, uh, both from the Chinese side from GDP, but also from the United States on factory numbers and supply chain crunch was an overwhelming theme. Let's get into Ericsson here. Heavyweight in the telecommunications sector reporting numbers today. Stock has been up close to 9% so far this year. The company says that uh, when it comes to its net sales, they have crossed at 56.3 billion Swedish krona. Uh, this is uh, versus uh, 57.5 same time a year ago. On this number print today, this 56.3, that looks to be a miss of expectations. I had a number penciled in of about 58.28 on that sales number. Um uh, the description on sales, network sales, were stable year over year, despite considerably lower volumes from mainland China, reflecting share gains in other markets. So elsewhere compensating for problems in China, don't forget the company was facing somewhat of a backlash from the Chinese vendor Huawei being shut out of the domestic Swedish market. The third quarter gross margin at 44% versus 43.1% same time a year ago. Digital services sales grew by 1% despite a stark sales reduction in mainland China. Planning to reduce their sales and delivery organization in the country starting the fourth quarter, adding to their restructuring charges. And uh, the company is saying when it comes to the operating margin, that's at 15.7% versus 15% same time a year ago. So we are hitting some uh, targets on some of these margins. They will continue to invest in the enterprise business, aiming at enterprise becoming a sizable part of Ericsson's business. When it comes to the network sales, this is key as we talk about the 5G journey. Network sales have crossed at 40.6 billion Swedish krona versus 41.7 billion same time a year ago. In the third quarter, they saw some impacts on sales from disturbances in supply chain and such issues will continue to pose a risk. So here is another company again talking about the slowdown on the sales. And don't forget that a very instrumental part in its journey, and that is being impacted by supply chain. Uh, they, through continuous measures for global supply chain resilience, they 
avoided customer impact during the first half of the year. 5G contracts now awarded by all three Tier 1 US carriers are the largest in Ericsson's history. So it is talking about uh, what it is saying on that 5G story. So uh, just another quick line on uh, what we've got on the operating income line. Adjusted operating income is uh, at $8.8 billion versus what we're seeing in Apollo at $6.51 billion. But we will be digging into these numbers a little bit more later on uh, with the CEO of Ericsson. Boya Erkham will be joining us. That is 7.50 CET and a first on CNBC. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is set to announce nearly £10 billion in new foreign investment into the country at the Global Investor Summit, saying the funds will help create at least 30,000 new jobs. 18 new trade and investment deals have also been signed to support green growth here in the UK. Well, let's get back out to Jeff. He does join us from that Global Investment Summit. Uh, Jeff, not too far from my house, I believe. Uh, Just set the scene for us. Uh, What can we expect? It sounds like a lot of money pouring into the country at a time when possibly we do need some further support. Yeah, very good morning, Karen. So we are in West London, and I think any uh, seven-year-old can probably figure out exactly where I am from the uh, the large uh, um, train and the aeroplane behind me. But the UK government is using this venue as an opportunity to showcase what it believes the UK economy has to offer international investors. Uh, and such is the nature of these events, of course, that Boris Johnson needs something to show So we will get an announcement of something like uh, £10 billion worth of commitments. Um, Interestingly, there's also going to be an announcement about an atlas of investment opportunities, which will also offer up something like uh, 50 or so uh, ready-to-go deals, effectively, as far as the UK government uh, sees the state of the UK economy. And, And of course, there's no coincidence, I suppose, that this comes a couple of weeks before we go into the COP meeting. So in the language of this event, you do see the term green investments come up fairly regularly. Also, one of Boris Johnson's favourite catchphrases, levelling up. So he talks about some of the investment commitments that have already been pledged here, having a levelling up aspect. And as you mentioned, as you came to me, the talk is of about 30,000 jobs being created here. It is important, I think, that the UK government does show that it has a strategy, maybe not a full-blown industrial policy, as some have argued for, but at least a strategy to try and bring investment back into the UK, obviously after the twin pains of the um, Brexit uh, uh, debate and then us leaving and then, of course, some of the bruising episodes that we've had with the French, uh, the EU over Ireland and, and so on and so forth here. And of course, there's been the terrible economic scarring from the pandemic lockdowns. The IMF just a few days ago suggesting that the UK will be heavily scarred from its experience of the pandemic and that it will by 2024 still be 3% smaller than it was before the pandemic started. So it's one of the economies that the IMF is concerned about suffering more greatly from the pandemic experience. The IMF has also expressed some concerns about inflation. And of course, as we come into this summit, Andrew Bailey has set the bond markets a jitter 
by suggesting that we might get an earlier interest rate rise here in the UK than I think many economic commentators had previously anticipated. Thus, we saw that movement in the gilt curve overnight. So I'm going to be here all morning. We have a a number of high-profile guests coming to talk to us about why they're here, what they're hoping to get from this, what this event is likely to achieve, and we will bring you those through the course of Squawk Box and Street Signs. Karen, back to you. Jeff, thank you very much. I think that location is all about the pioneering spirit here in the UK. I know it well, the water display in the basement, the aviation around the top floor, and I'm sure that's given the, the audience a few more clues if they haven't worked it out based on the backdrop. Well, let's take you to the markets and what we've got, uh, the Dow reversing course yesterday down by about a tenth of a percent. I mentioned as we started at the show, the data undermining confidence, the handover from China where we saw the mainland markets slowing down with the power crunch and the supply chain issues that impacted GDP, but also stateside. We had a glimpse of the impact on the American factories at this point and what it could mean for US GDP as effectively uh, the factory level, the production we saw in the month fell by the most in seven months. So that was a big negative for the Dow. Other parts of the market managed to break free from these concerns, namely technology. It was a decent old day for the big name stocks, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, uh, some big gainers for the S&P 500 and also for the Nasdaq, eight tenths higher, triple digit point gain of 124 points for the Nasdaq. A look at the Treasury markets. Uh, this is how it uh, has been playing out. We're still holding firm on that U.S. 10-year yield. We're just perched below the 1.6% handle. Asian markets uh, picking up on some of that trend we did see on the Nasdaq. Uh, some of the, the tech trade has been positive uh, across the region. You can see from the Nikkei about half of a percent plus in the green. The Hong Kong market chasing close to 300 points to the upside. Seven tenths on the Shanghai Composite. A uh, solid day in Australia. A little bit left behind in that mix. Uh, the uh, main themes, I think, though, investors are very much focused on inflation and what that could mean from here. Well, speaking to CNBC, ICANN Enterprises Chairman Carl ICANN warned that central banks' easy policy will contribute to a fresh crisis. In the long run, we're certainly going to hit the wall. And I get people may say to me, well, anybody can say that. No, but I really think there will be a crisis, the way we're going. The way we're printing up money, the way we're going into inflation. Well, let's uh, get another voice uh, on the channel now. Lothar Mentor joins us, the CIO and CEO of Tatton Investment Management. Uh, Lothar, it's been a long time since we last spoke, and I'm curious to hear your views on the market because we're seeing a lot of evidence that the supply chain issues and the energy crisis are starting to have an impact at uh, company level. What's your view on just how damaging that could be in coming quarters? Morning, Karen. Yes, it's it's not great, um, but it's uh, in a way... Uh, from an economist's point of view, um, in, a, in a way less of a problem than if there's you know, a lack of demand. This is a lack of supply, which doesn't happen very often, certainly hasn't happened very often during the last 10 years. And just like this dreadful word for inflation being transitory, we also expect this to be transitory because there are great incentives to get the supply chain going again. And therefore, yes, it's not going to be a great quarter ahead with the winter, energy prices high, supply chain issues, holding back production. But we think this is all going to pass um, when the new year starts. 
Lota, I think many of us can see our way through. Uh, chip shortage is something that eventually gets corrected. We all understand how many extra items people are trying to purchase during a lockdown and why that may have caught a lot of manufacturers by surprise given the, the initial drop-off in demand. But when it comes to an energy crisis, the crunch we're seeing at the pump uh, when it comes to what's coming into the home, what's going into factories in terms of electricity, and we know we've got ESG around the corner with uh, a big push for renewables. Doesn't that have a bigger potential? Because we know in the past that an, an energy shock can undermine markets and undermine economies. Price shocks are always um, a disrupting uh, event. Um, whether they will hopefully uh, have some impact in terms of uh, the green revolution that we're about to experience, i.e. people perhaps looking a bit more carefully uh, where they're using energy, what their cars use, um, how well their homes are insulated. But overall, at the moment, even OPEC's uh, statistics or outlooks are pointing to really a a relaxation of uh, the um, supply issues that currently exist and more um, supply than demand uh, establishing itself uh, again early next year. So uh, again, this is something that at the moment is a reaction to things first being shut down very rapidly and then being switched on back uh, very rapidly. And uh, while the global economy is flexible, um, it does take a bit of doing to get it all back into place and running smoothly again. Uh, Lota, investors are being either dynamic or erratic when it comes to watching uh, the earnings and uh, trading around that and also watching the data and reacting because it felt as though last week we may have had a breakout week on markets on the back of earnings. Then this week we're reset again based on some of the data from China and the United States and sentiment just started to soften again. Where you did see some upside was around the technology names, perhaps almost a nod that if there are are problems out there in the global economy that perhaps interest rates are not going to tighten too quickly. What do you make first of the sentiment, but also the opportunity around technology? I think the sentiment at the moment <clears throat> ebbs and flows. It 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 always de- depends on whether the markets um, are willing and have the courage to look ahead and just say, right, this is going to be um, perhaps not such an exciting quarter. The winter may be a bit um, dire in terms of uh, earnings growth not coming through uh, so strongly in the next quarter. I'm not talking about the last quarter. Um, and then, you know, then the cyclical um, uh, trades are, are back on. Uh, but in, in, in weeks like, like this, when um, there are certain doubts creeping in, then it's back to quality, back to tech, back to the things that worked when the outlook was uncertain. And so we expect this to go uh, back and forth quite a bit over the next um, weeks or so. Later, where there's been a more definitive position of markets really has been developing versus developed markets. And at this point, a lot of investors have been willing to play it safe and they're seeing much faster uh, levels of growth in some of the, the developed markets than what they're seeing in emerging markets. Do you still take that position as well? Do you think there are concerns about that EM profile at this stage? EM is not entirely out of the woods. Um, still more exposed, I suppose, to the variable of covid um, striking there, although that's also waning, and I think we can we can see emerging markets in due course coming back. But it it hinges all uh, quite a lot at the moment on the dollar. Uh, with dollar strength, as we know, that's not great for emerging markets. But with uh, dollar weakness and perhaps also lower energy prices, that would all um, turn turn around. So um, it's it's a bit early for for emerging markets yet, but they're certainly better potential there than in many of the Western markets being quite cyclical in nature.
Lota, thank you very much for joining us and sharing your views on the markets. Lota Mentor with us, the CEO and CEO of Tatton Investment Management. Now, after the break, we're going to be hearing from the former Unilever CEO and Imagine co-founder Paul Pullman, who joined CNBC's first ever sustainable future forum, where he called for better regulation towards the energy transition. That is coming up next. And as earnings season kicks off, and uh, that is, of course, on both sides of the Atlantic, you can listen to our school podcast for coverage and analysis of the latest corporate results. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Alibaba has launched a chip design for servers as it looks to boost its cloud business and take on rivals like Microsoft and Amazon. The Chinese e-commerce giant will not manufacture the chip, but crucially, it will design it. Currently, cloud computing accounts for about only 8% of Alibaba's revenues, but the company sees it as a key part of its future growth. Apple has unveiled two new MacBook Pro laptops run on the company's in-house chips, which the technology giant claims are faster than laptops using Intel's semiconductors. The laptops come in 16-inch and 14-inch sizes, starting at uh, just under $2,000, up to more than $6,000. Now, the iPhone maker also announced a new version of its AirPods. The new products are expected to be available from next week, but Apple will hope that the supply chain issues experienced by other retailers will not impact holiday season sales. Shares in Apple closed higher after the announcements. Elsewhere, Volvo Cars has set a price range of 53 to 68 Swedish crowns per share for its initial public offering, which is set to be one of the biggest in Europe this year. This would value the Geely-owned company at up to $23 billion. The Chinese car giant acquired Volvo back in 2010. Shares are set to start trading on the Nasdaq Stockholm on the 28th of this month. Meantime, separately, Volvo Cars and Geely's luxury electric vehicle business Polestar is in the process of going public in the United States via a $20 billion SPAC deal. Former Unilever CEO and Imagine co-founder and chair Paul Polman has told CNBC that oil giants must be called out for greenwashing. Speaking to Steve as part of our inaugural Sustainable Future Forum, Pullman also said more government oversight was not necessarily the answer. Rather than more regulation, which is always a contentious issue, I would say the right regulation, and that requires all of us. In order to solve the issues of deforestation, you need to have the global agreements that countries don't import products that are related to deforestation. In the uh, upcoming uh, Glasgow uh, meetings, there are two initiatives. One is called LEAF, uh, which is an initiative, again, to get the whole value chain to commit, including the countries itself, to ban this uh, deforestation. And then there is another initiative to actually get together and to start uh, uh, investing in 
um, protecting the biodiversity. That needs governments to work together with the private sector uh, to get there. The FACT initiative, which is the other one I wanted to talk about, is really to make commitments to not have deforestation in the value chain at all. So these are type of partnerships that are creeping in where you do need the governments as much as the private sector to work together. The legislation first and foremost needs to be right. In the energy transition, in the food transition that is needed, we still are dealing with perfer subsidies of half a 500 billion or more that push us the other way. We still see governments putting rescue packages in place with COVID that push us back into the old economy. Those things have to change if we want to get on this accelerated timing. Paul, what about some of these companies? And, and you said that actually, if you do the right thing, if you go uh, carbon neutral and then perhaps even trying to become positive as well, you're not necessarily rewarded though are you and a couple of companies i know that you've lauded in the past as well the likes of oatly the likes of beyond meat as well very very volatile share prices both share prices as we speak under a lot of pressure as well it's not necessarily a win-win for shareholders in the short to medium term is it well it is a longer term game um and uh, and what we are seeing though is that if you take a um three to five year uh time frame steve that the companies that have accelerated that transition themselves are actually in a better position and have created more uh, market value. You look at the uh, fossil companies versus the green energy companies, you see quite a difference. You look at companies that are moving to regenerative agriculture and um, uh, again, uh, internalizing some of these challenges in the food sector, moving to alternative proteins, etc. They have created quite a lot of market value. It is true that uh, with the uncertainties in the market, the lack of clarity on some of the policies and directions from some of the governments, uh, and the enormous amount of money floating around the world chasing returns, that there is a certain level of volatility we have to get used to. But the direction, I think, is well set. Pullman also said a likely no-show from Chinese President Xi Jinping at next month's COP26 summit in Glasgow needn't be a deal-breaker. The voices of responsible business are speaking louder and louder. It is indeed true that we need to get the governments now to make more uh, and bolder and braver, if you want to, commitments, especially when it comes to between now and 2030. And they need to hear that all parts of society, from the academics to civil society to the business community, are demanding action right now. If the physical presence would be there from some of these heads of state, undoubtedly it would help. But more importantly is what they commit to. China is now committing to be uh, net zero by 2060. Russia is getting more interested with the European border control coming in and carbon adjustments. They seem to have uh, woken up. Um, so um, uh, China just committed to not financing coal abroad anymore. And I know there are some short-term setbacks as they keep these economies going. But the most important thing is not actually the physical presence. It is the bolder commitments that then are put into action. And another big lineup today on the Sustainable Future Forum. We're focusing on energy. We'll discuss the outlook for green hydrogen with Schnam CEO Marco Alvera and Siemens Energy CEO Christian Bruch. We'll also hear from the chairman and CEO of Spanish utility Iberdrola, Ignacio Gallen, will be joining us. 
And get your second screens ready. Don't miss our colleagues on the APAC stage starting at 8 o'clock CET. Sri will discuss Asia's road to decarbonisation with the CEO of Hong Kong electricity firm CLP Holdings and also the former Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull. We'll also be hearing from the Finance Minister of Indonesia. You can catch the forum all week streaming live on YouTube and cnbc.com. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.